ALG really saved me. I put all of my success on joining this group. People constantly checking in saved me. I made so many like friends with people that I've never met, but I feel incredibly close to and, and I consider them family. It really is a family. It is a place where you can just be yourself and there is no judgment. There is no shame. You are so welcome there. Nobody has to be in this alone. Everybody is either going through or has gone through the same thing at one point. Let's do this. All right, welcome back to the ALG podcast. Uh, just quick at the uh, at the top of the hour, we just ask if you five-star rate and review this podcast. Those rates and reviews really go a long way. As always, I am John Arpino, otherwise known as J-Arp's Journey, and I am joined today by my partner in crime, Fit underscore D-Rock, David Roden. David, what's going on? Yow, it is Sunday. It is, I'm about to do a, uh, a three-day fast coming up here pretty quick, so we're getting a little keto in. We're getting ready for that bad boy, and uh, we're coming at you, so we're doing a Phenomenal Sunday afternoon here. Hell yeah, I'd love to hear it. Well, today, guys, we are joined by a very special guest, a New York Times bestselling author. Today, we have Drew Manning, otherwise known on Instagram as fit to fat to fit How you doing today, Drew? What's going on? I'm doing good. Thank you guys for having me. It's a pleasure to be here with you all. So, yeah, I'm excited to do this. <laughs> I appreciate you uh, making some time for us today. Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, it's my pleasure, man. So uh, let's just let's dive right into it. Um, you know, yeah. I, I did a little background on you. Uh, so mm. big in the keto space. Why don't you why don't you talk to us about that really quick before we really dive into what you're all about? Yeah. So I stumbled upon keto in around 2015 or so listening to a podcast with Dr. Dominic Diagostino. He was on the Tim Ferriss uh, podcast and I was really intrigued at the science behind this diet, you know, for all kinds of things, uh, traumatic brain injury, brain toxicity with Navy SEALs. Um, you know, uh, yeah, Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, uh, you know, uh, more mental clarity. And I was like, wait a second, I thought most diets were just for weight loss. So I was really intrigued at all the scientific literature that had been published on the ketogenic diet and for things like epilepsy and um, <clears throat> seizures, uh, the benefits of, of a ketogenic diet for all that. And so I was like, man, I need to do some research. So I did some research, decided to do an experiment after doing my research, did a 60 day thing and, and ended up falling in love with it. Um, you know, wrote my own program. And then from there, you know, had some, you know, notoriety already from my fit to fit to fit journey. So I, I got invited on the Dr. Oz show. And um, from there, wrote a second book uh, called Complete Keto. And so I've been in the keto space ever since because it's really helped me with things like mental clarity, uh, you know, not being a slave to food, not having to eat every two or three hours. Like I kind of grew up in the fitness industry. So that was the, that was what everyone was doing every two or three hours, eat something, eat some protein, you know, so your metabolism doesn't slow down. So I bought into that myth yep. uh, a long time ago. <laughs> and then when I was did keto, I was like, wait a second, I can eat two meals a day. My brain is, is sharper. My digestion's better because I'm giving my digestive system a break. And, you know, I have the same amount of energy to work, work out and be a dad and all that stuff. So See, that's, that's actually fascinating. So, um, cause I've been following you <laughs> since your first fit to fat to fit. And so I like it, it's I, I've been a little little fanboy on the side for a long time. Um, your first time going from the fit to fat to fit journey when you mm -hmm. cut that wasn't involving keto. No. Keto oh, really, see, I always thought yeah. it did. OK. Keto wasn't really mainstream in 2011. Like, yeah. uh, you know, it became mainstream, I would say, like 2014, 2015, 2016. Yeah. And it's been super popular ever since. 
but yeah, back then it was based off of that same, you know, ideology of every two or three hours eating some kind of meal. So six meals a day is what I was doing, which can work. It did work. It yeah. helped me lose 75 pounds in six months. But we'll talk about comparing that because I'm on my second journey of fit to fat to fit. We'll talk about the comparison of how my progress is versus the first time. <laughs> See, that's that's what I'm fascinated about now because I love um, the process you took this time because like you, this, you're calling this one the fit to fat to fit 40, correct? Yes. Yep. Yeah. And so like, this is always fun to us because John and I in particular, especially mm-hmm. myself, like this idea of a one size fits all nutrition plan is garbage. Yeah. yeah. And there are fundamentals but this idea that, well, it's got to be keto or it's got to be this or paleo or, <laughs> and how everyone can, depending on your mindset, can take a good program and ruin it <laughs> very That's quickly. So and it's, I love how you've kind of taken your newest approach here. So walk us through this newest fit to fat to fit journey in the 40. Cause like you basically took every program, ruined it. And then now you're coming <laughs> back from it. So kind of walk us through that. Yeah. So doing fit to fat to fit a second time as a 40 year old, um, you know, first of all, there's a couple of reasons why I decided to do it again. So let me talk about that before getting into the structure of it, why it's different, but basically doing it again, the second time, first of all, I swore I would never do it again because it was the hardest, most humbling experience of my life. And I learned so many valuable lessons, but then 2020 happened. And I, I started to realize, you know, in 2011, social media wasn't what it is today. There was only Facebook. YouTube wasn't what it is today. And it, it just wasn't as you know prevalent. There wasn't as many eyes on social media. Now in 2020, there's so many platforms. There's people are even more addicted. And so there's more eyes on social media than there's ever been. Right. So I was like, you know what? No one really saw it as it was happening. They couldn't really, there's no Insta stories. There was no Facebook lives to be able to show people as it was happening. So I was like, okay, what if I did it again? but this time more impactful, more educational, uh, more inspirational, you know, this time around, I have a team in place to help me from videography to, you know, marketing team to an IT team versus back then it was me and my wife at the time, just trying to like, okay, squarespace.com. How do you start a website, create a YouTube channel? I'll edit the videos. It was horrible quality, but it, you know, it worked for what it was, but now it's like, okay, I have so many more followers now, maybe I can make this more impactful because my message is one of empathy. Like my mission is to bring more empathy into the, an industry that is, you know, kind of judgmental, lacks empathy in my opinion. And it's so focused on body image that as the end all be all. And I'm trying to bring more awareness of like, of, of the importance of empathy, because I think people who have never been overweight don't understand the mental and emotional struggles that come along with just eating less food and working out, which is what people think it's all about. Like, Oh, just eat less, dude. What's wrong? Like, why can't you just do that? It's like, you know, that's what most people think, like just have some willpower. Now that I've been through this experience twice, I'm trying to almost scream at people. Like we have it wrong. Our approach is so wrong. And so I'm trying to build more awareness of it. So doing it a second time, I was like, okay, now how, how to make this better? And so I started adding little elements of ex- uh, mini experiments within this experiment to show changes in you know, my blood glucose levels or my uh, sleep data or my blood work to really show people what's happening, not just to the outside of my body, but the inside. So I decided to do a little uh, diet experiment where I compared the four most popular diets, you know, probably here in the US, keto, paleo, vegan, and vegetarian, and kind of do a mini experiment on, e- on each of those showing the positive sides of those, but also showing the negative sides of those and how to actually do them the unhealthy way, which is what I think most people gravitate towards because it's usually consisted, it consists of a lot of uh, comfort foods, junk foods that people tend to gravitate towards like, oh, I'm keto, but I'm going to eat three keto cookies today. 
and still be in ketosis, but I don't understand why I'm not losing weight. Or I'm vegan. Oh, I can have Oreos on vegan. Okay, so I can add Oreos to my diet now because they're in the vegan category. Or paleo pancakes, or you know, bean and cheese burritos, and mac and cheese, and bread, and pasta, and things that are you know very popular on the vegetarian diet because it's not meat. Thinking, oh, I'm not eating meat, so I'm healthier. Right. So I want to show people the pitfalls and mistakes, and actually gain weight and become unhealthier on those diets, which I did. And then now on the flip side, now that I'm losing weight, I did those diets again to show people, okay, if you're going to do these diets, here's the healthier way of doing them. Does that make sense? hundred percent. Yeah. So let me ask you, um, which was the most shocking to see that it was the most unhealthy, like when trying to go unhealthy on a diet, which was the most easiest and shocking? (laughs) I would say vegan or vegetarian because Yeah. yeah, because here's the thing with keto, it was really hard to overconsume calories. Like I was averaging about 6,000 to 7,000 calories of like processed food. And then I went to keto and because of the high amount of fat in my diet, it was really hard to get past 5,000 calories without feeling nauseous, okay. you know, because of eating a, a copious amounts of fat can make the body feel nauseous for a lot of people. So to stuff yourself on keto is really hard. So I could only get 5,000 calories in on keto on paleo you're stuffing your face, but it's, it's still whole foods. Like right. you're even the bars and the granolas are coming from like paleo, you know, whole food sources. So it's still whole foods for the most part, vegan. There's a lot of junk food in vegan, you know, mm-hmm. like I said, Oreos, sodas, chips, cookies, crackers, you know, uh, you know, bread, pasta, rice, cereal, those kinds of things that are vegan and then vegetarian as well. And like one marker that I'll kind of show you guys that changed that was really scary and how quickly it changed was my triglycerides. Yep. So my triglycerides as a baseline were 46, really good, really healthy under hundred is good. Right. Um, <clears throat> when I went dirty keto, it went up to 76. Okay. So not a huge or a little bit of a jump, but not like over hundred. So still good. Paleo went up to 130. Wow. Okay. Vegan went up to 430 <laughs> my triglycerides. And then on vegetarian in just one week went up to 540. And that's where I was like, oh my gosh, like, and, but it has so many people reach out to me saying, I know, like, I used to be that person. I used to be that vegan that would eat these junk foods and be like, oh, I'm vegan. Or I was that vegetarian that, hey, I didn't eat meat, but I was gaining fat over time because I was eating, you know, bread, pasta, rice, cereal, soda, juices, granola bars, chips, cookies, crackers, all these things that don't have meat. And so it was really surprising to me at how quickly my blood work changed on those diets. So it's, it's so funny. So, uh, another diving into the story of, for me, my dad's a cardiologist, he's an interventional cardiologist. And yeah. so, <laughs> yeah, you're, I was 400 pounds when I was 18. So like, it's, it's hysterical Dang. in itself. Um, <laughs> uh, but when you were sending your lab work and doing that whole bit, I'd been sending to my dad this entire time going, check this out, check this out. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome, so man. yeah, he, he, he found it fascinating as well. Just like the, how you can do it so differently and still ruin your blood work. Like, Oh, that's yeah. all he, he's, he isn't overly dramatic about vegan when it comes to some of these different markers. Cause it's like, no, that you can still destroy this, <laughs> yeah. but yeah, you can get caught up in it. Um, but very cool. I know from the first time you did it, you had made this statement of the fit to fat to fit journey and the humbleness of the weight gain. What were some of the biggest impacts for you doing it? Cause it is so funny to me. Um, I'm sure you've dealt with this a little bit where some people may take your approach of humbling the weight loss community as, 
trying to get clout. Oh, you're just gaining weight to lose it again and blah, 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 blah. So in that experience of gaining the weight and losing it, what were some of the things that you expected and what were some of the things you didn't expect? I'm more the mental side of it. Yeah, for sure. So going into my first journey, I had nothing to compare it to because I grew up my entire life in shape. I grew up in a family of 11 brothers and sisters and we all played sports. So football and wrestling from a very young age were part of my life. So I was always very fit and very active and I never knew any different. So I went into my first journey. First of all, the idea came from uh, me training my clients. You know, here I was someone who had never been overweight a day in my life, trying to help my clients who were overweight pretty much the majority of their life because I couldn't understand why they couldn't just follow the meal plans. I'm like, you guys put down the junk food, go to the gym. Like what, what's so hard about that? You know, cause for me it's easy and I couldn't understand where they were coming from. So I decided to do this experiment myself. So I kind of went into it expecting, okay, I'm going to gain some weight for six months, maybe 50 or 60 pounds at the most. And then I'll lose the weight. And maybe that'll give me a better understanding and kind of that's my frame, my mindset framework going into this journey and so here's the lessons that I learned from that first experiment. First of all, identity. Growing up your entire life in shape, your identity becomes your body. Like your body image is your self-image. So in my mind, I was Drew the fit guy. And I think the opposite of that is true. If you grew up your entire life overweight, right. maybe like you guys have, you identify as, hey, I am this larger overweight person. And that becomes part of your identity because that's what you've always been. 100%. So for me, going into my journey, even just the first 20 pounds of being overweight, I freaked out because I had this identity crisis. I wanted to go explain to strangers that I'd never met before, hey, I'm not really overweight. You know, this is not what I really look like. Go to my website. Here's my before <laughs> yeah. picture. Like, this is me because I'm so uncomfortable in my own skin. Right. I don't know how to handle it. So that was a really wake, that was a big wake up call for me was the identity thing. Um, eventually, I learned that I am more than my body and that other people are more than their body and like our identity doesn't should not be based on our body image as our self-image and it took me a lot of um unlearning almost how to do that eventually but i did and that first experiment really opened my eyes to that the second thing that i learned was how much of transformation is mental and emotional and so i remember at one point in time when i was about 50 or 60 pounds overweight. I had my daughter who was two years old at the time. She wanted me to play with her one day, like she always does. And she wanted me to chase her around the house. So I come home from work. I'm exhausted because I had a full-time job in the medical field at this time. A lot of people didn't know that, but I was working full-time doing fit to bed fit on the side. So I come home, I'm working, I, I, I'm trying to play with her. And after a couple of minutes, I'm exhausted. I'm like out of breath because I'm so out of shape because I don't exercise at all during this period. And um, I had to sit on the couch to take a break. And she's like, daddy, daddy, come play with me. And I'm like, I can't, daddy needs to take a break. I'm really tired. And she didn't understand. She doesn't know what that means. So she's just trying to pull me. And I said, no, I can't. And when she realized that I wasn't getting off the couch to play with her, she started you know, crying. And it really hit home to me because it broke my heart that I couldn't play with my daughter, not so much because of my weight, but because of my health. And in that moment, I sat there and realized, man, this feeling sucks. And here I am doing this on purpose. What about the millions of people out there that can't play with their kids or their grandkids, not so much because of their weight, but because of their health and how much that must hurt inside to see your kid cry because you can't play with them um, really opened up my eyes to just how much of transformation is mental and emotional for people. And um, so that was another important lesson. The last lesson I'll say I learned was how powerful the emotional connection to food really is. And this is where I, it, it my, I, my eyes were opened and realizing just how wrong I was in my approach. Cause I used to think it was a lack of willpower after eating junk food for six months. 
and then going to eating healthy food, you would think, oh, you're going to feel good. You know, the first week, the first couple of weeks, like you think, oh, I'm eating healthy food now. I'm feeling good. It was the opposite. It was like my body was going through withdrawal symptoms and my body was fighting back against my own willpower saying, no, we want the high that you've given us for the past six months from our cinnamon toast crunch and Mountain Dew and Hot Pockets. Like we want that food because it makes us feel good. And it became addicted to it. And then when I tried to willpower my way through it, those first two weeks, the first two weeks were miserable and were hellish because I had never experienced that before. And here I was doing this for a six month, you know, experiment. Imagine living that way or eating that way for six years or six decades. And now you're trying to tell your body, okay, let's go eat real food. And then that's what my clients have been telling me. Like they try and follow the meal plans, but every once in a while their body is like, no, push them towards these foods that they have an emotional connection to. And so that's mm -hmm. where I realized it's not about willpower. It's not about discipline. It's about overcoming these emotional connections to these foods that we've created because we eat food, you know, a lot of times to distract us from uncomfortable emotional challenges that happen in our life. So trauma or, you know, maybe, you know, we're, we're made fun of, or maybe, you know, we're feeling ashamed of who we are and food becomes that comfort because you can control it. And it distracts you from those emotional pains that you can feel. And instead of dealing with that, you get a little dopamine hit every time you take a bite of ice cream or drink some alcohol or eat some uh, a candy bar, whatever it is. And salmon and broccoli just don't do that. That doesn't give you chemically the same uh, dopamine hit that you would get from those foods. And so it's like, man, this is, feels comfortable to me. And before you know it, year after year of doing that, now when those emotions arise of sadness, loneliness, depression, you know, frustration, anger, mm -hmm. we eat those emotions. And for some people, it's food. For other people, it's drugs. For other people, it's alcohol or sex or porn or movies or TV shows or social media. These little tiny dopamine hits we're addicted to. And that's why it's not as simple as just saying, hey, stop eating that food. You know mm -hmm. what I'm saying? So that was what I learned from my first journey. So what I think is really cool is about your journey in particular mm -hmm. is so like when, when I was 510 pounds, I was 510 pounds, you know, at my highest recorded weight. And I was yeah. morbidly <laughs> obese my whole entire life for yeah. the most part, right? I always played out this Freaky Friday scenario in my head mm -hmm. where I was always like, wouldn't it be cool if mm -hmm. I, the fat kid, woke up in the athletic kid's body one day and he woke up in my body just yeah. to give him that twisted turn of events? So I guess the, the question that I'm trying to lead up to is living that experience that first time around, right? And not knowing what you were getting into. Yeah. What was the biggest mental and physical hurdle that you had to get through while in the midst of living that fat life. But, you know, I understand like, you know, you had that experience where you couldn't play with your daughter and you realize yeah. that, but yeah. there's bigger mental and physical heartaches that someone who lives in a morbidly obese life goes through. And I just yeah. want to see them from your perspective. Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, so that, that was one of the moments uh, that I already mentioned. Um, another time was when I was in the grocery store. And like I said, going through this experiment for six months it, let me just be clear with everyone it's in no way shape or form the same as you growing up overweight right. your entire life they, there's no way to recreate that uh, even if i gained 100 pounds and kept it on for a year or two it's still never going to be the same so my mini experiment of six months there were little moments like that one other moment was i was in a grocery store had my shopping cart full of junk food right tons of it because it's always cheaper right there's always right. like 10 for 10 dollar sales on that stuff but never 10 for 10 on salmon right right <laughs> so, <laughs> so anyways um i had my shopping cart full of food and i remember there, was, there were these three women behind me and i'm checking out with like all these cereals and cookies and sodas and 
and I wanted to say to them like, Hey ladies, I I'm normally really healthy. Like this isn't what I usually eat. Like I wanted to like, cause I could tell they were kind of looking at me and they're looking at my cart, like, Oh man. And they're looking at my belly. And it was in that, I felt judged in that moment, whether they were judging me or not, I don't know, but I felt super judged. And the, you know, this part of me wanted to kind of go out, out to them and say, explain to them. But in that moment, I kind of bit my tongue and did not say anything. I just let that judgment sink in. And it hit me in that moment. This is something that my clients probably have to go through on a daily basis of being looked at or being judged in a way where it feels uncomfortable. And like I said, they didn't say anything rude to me. Like, right. I don't know what they were thinking, but I felt judged. And in that moment, I was like, man, even if like, for example, if you lost hundred pounds, you still, you know, you still look overweight to your average person out there. And maybe for the first time in a year, you're finally having a, a cheat meal, right? But someone from the outside doesn't know your story. They're like, oh my gosh, I can't believe this person eats this way. It's like, dude, do you even know my story? Do you even right. know that I'm on this journey? And like, this is my first time eating ice cream. Like, you don't know that. And so you feel judged. And that's why having that experience for me as someone who's been fit my whole life, who used to be judgmental, really flipped the switch for me and, and helped me realize to one, have more empathy and two, not judge. Cause I don't know someone's entire story. That's one chapter that I'm seeing. And like, I don't know the before chapter, you know? Right. Mm -hmm. And so that right there was a, a huge eye-opening experience for me physically, a couple things. <laughs> One was, uh, you know, being married at the time, uh, being intimate was really, really hard for me because I was so insecure about my body for the first time in my life. You know, I didn't, I wanted, I didn't want my wife at the time to see me naked because I didn't want to see myself naked. And so I didn't know how to be intimate in those situations because I didn't know how to be confident in my own body. Um, and that was a really big surprise for me, but also it definitely threw a wrench in our relationship, um, you know, during that time. Um, and so those were probably two uh, of the big things, one physical, one mental, that I would say really, <clears throat> at the end of the day, just, it made me more empathetic because I was having these experiences. Had I not done this, right? yeah, sure, I could like, you tell me like what's shameful uh -huh. about it to you, me trying to understand it, but to live it in a, in a small way, it still was way more powerful for me than just saying, okay, Drew, just have more empathy for people. It's like, when you have an experience like that, it really shapes your beliefs more powerfully than just, you know, listening to someone. In a weird way, was it like therapeutic? Yes, 100%. Yeah. After it was all said and done, it was like a very intense, rough way of, of like having it be therapeutic. But it, like I said, it was so powerful. And this is why I truly believe in what I, I'm doing. I'm not saying everyone needs to go through it. Right. But if you watch the TV show, we had two seasons, uh, one on A&E, one on Lifetime, where we put other trainers through this process. And every single time, each trainer went through the same process because they were judgmental like me. And they went through this process. They were humbled. They came out of it way more empathetic and a, and a new, better respect for their clients and for people that struggle because they went through that experience. So there is something to say it is pretty powerful to do it. I'm not saying it's safe, I'm not saying it's healthy. It's very risky and it's way harder than people think. Right. Uh, but it is kind of powerful, at least in my opinion. So I, question, I think it's so cool. Yeah. Oh, yeah, 100%. Question for it, because going off the exact opposite, because I tend to have this, that like, battle on social media i i want to put yeah. my 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 place in this where this is the hardest conversation possible where is mm -hmm. your dynamic of empathy health and like helping people get into a quote-unquote healthy body which doesn't mean six-pack abs yeah but it does mean health where do you where do you kind of how do you kind of deal with that within like the body positivity to obesity kind of position like what's your thought process on it all 
Yeah, here's here's my thought process and all of that. And it's kind of complicated because coming from a place of empathy is really important for me. But empathy mm-hmm. without boundaries is enabling. Yep. And so it's one thing to have empathy for people and listen to understand them and where they're coming from and and letting them feel safe and, and feel heard for right. where they're coming from. But there needs to be boundaries still. And you know, I think self-love is not eating whatever you want, whenever you want, and never exercising or moving your body in a way that, that fits you. Right. For me, I don't see that as self-love. I see mm-hmm. that as kind of abuse to our bodies, but here's the problem. I feel like the diet community has been pushing and shaming people for so long one way. And I think the body positivity movement is a way to kind of push to the other extreme yep. in hopes to kind of balance it out. So do yes. I agree with the methods of going to this extreme of saying, hey, become or be morbidly obese and don't do anything about it. And that's self-love. I don't agree with that. But I do see from an empathetic side where they're coming from because I feel like they've been shamed for so long and saying no more are we going to allow this to happen. But maybe the truth should be somewhere in the middle of like, hey, self-love is eating healthy food, not to get skinny, not to be approved by society, like to shape your body into a way that uh, society accepts you, but eating real food, because actually it makes you feel better. And it, you become a better human when you eat real, real food. Most of the time, it's okay to have treats and, and, and those kinds of things every once in a while, but it is self-love to eat real food because it makes you feel better in the long run. And it balances, balances out your hormones. It helps you have better sleep. It helps you have better sex. It helps you become happier when you're sleeping through the night and your hormones are balanced. You show up a healthier, happier version of yourself. Same thing with exercise. It's not a punishment. It doesn't have to be a punishment. That's our perception mm-hmm. based on the fitness industry, right. creating it to be that way. But you going out for a walk or biking or hiking or dancing or yoga, whatever it is for you, moving your body in a way that feels good to you should be part of your lifestyle because it's therapeutic. It's not about like getting a six pack. Don't you don't need to do it for that reason. Like if you do, cool, but you don't need to do it for that reason, thinking if I get the skinny body, then I'll get accepted by society, then I'll love myself, then people will love me. I think we need to flip the switch on that and realize that it's not about that. It's about doing these healthy habits, living this healthy lifestyle, because we're a better version of ourselves when we do that and we show up a better dad, a better mom, a better spouse, right. a better employee, a better human when we take care of our physical health, not to the point of like fitting in and being accepted by society, but doing it on your own terms. And for me, that is true self-love and that's what I'm trying to promote. Uh, But I get where people are coming from and maybe eventually we'll find this happy balance of like not going to extremes in either direction. Exactly. It's, it's so funny. I was at a wedding a couple of years ago and my parents were at a table with this woman. Obviously my story came up of losing 200 pounds and so she comes over to me afterwards. I hadn't talked to her and she's talking to me like, what do you do? How do you do it? And I'm talking to her a little bit and she was, she's like, I just, I just want to get to this size and do this and blah, 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 and build some sustainability. And I'm like, Hey, what are you doing now? And th- mind you, this woman is healthy as it is right now. Okay. Like she was in a healthy body weight. She wasn't overweight, but she was coming to me asking me questions. I was like, well, what are you doing right now? Well, I'm doing CrossFit and my, my fitness trainer is just destroying me, but I just want to do this. And I'm like, well, that's your first problem. If you think you have to sacrifice every single day just to lose a couple pounds, you're going to quit. I'm telling you right now, if like you just want this, your trainer right now is expecting you to be here, but you want this. This is all you want. That's fine. You can do this by walking 45 minutes a day and doing this, this, and this. You don't have to do this to get this. And it was so fun having a conversation with her because I was like, 
yeah, you're, you're setting yourself up for failure. Cause you're, you're the standards of what your what your personal trainer wants and the standards of what you actually want are two completely different things. Yeah. And it's, it's fascinating. We get caught up in that. Yeah. So I have a question, obviously sure. the, the, the whole aura around your original journey was to create empathy, right? Mm -hmm. Before, before you created that empathy, being someone that was, you know, fit their whole entire life. Did yeah. you realize the true um, mental side of this before, you know, making that, that fit to fat to fit transformation? Like, because when I was overweight, I always thought, you know, the answer to everything was obviously eating less. It wasn't a mental journey. You know, you're, yeah. you're just messing <clears throat> this up because you're eating the wrong things. And then finally having that mental breakthrough is when everything became so much easier. Yes, 100%. So I, I did not have that understanding on the mental and emotional side. Like this is how I've changed from pre-fit to fat to fit to post-fit to fat to fit was if someone was struggling with emotional eating, I had no idea what that was. It was like, okay, be disciplined because I grew up in a football and wrestling, which is, you don't, you can't be like, Hey coach, I need some empathy today. <laughs> it's like, it's like, no, you do this. Otherwise you get punished. You miss a tackle. Right. There's a punishment, you know? Right. Yeah. So, um, so for me, I was, that it's kind of like the tough love approach. Like, okay, here's your meal plans. Here's your workouts and you just do it. Maybe we'll change up your macros or calories or your workouts if you're struggling, but that's all I knew how to connect with them on was the physical side until I did fit to fit and could lead with empathy and have more of a, uh, be, uh, be more relatable to them and understand where their struggles were coming from and being able to speak to that instead of just coming from a place of judgment. That's where empathy is different. Empathy is listening to understand someone, not listening to respond. As a coach, as a trainer, as a leader, sometimes we have the knowledge. Uh -huh. So we're listening to our client, but we're listening to respond to them or correct them or judge them or critique or correct them. That is not empathy. And so like, that's where I totally changed my approach. And I, th I feel like there's this quote by Theodore Roosevelt, no one cares how much you know until they know how much you care. And that's huge for this fit to fit to fit brand that I've created is that's what we're about right. is listening and, and letting people know that they're truly cared about first. And then from there, from that place of feeling cared about, you feel safer and you feel actually more motivated to do what your coach is telling you to do instead of saying, uh, them yelling at you saying like, stop eating so much, mm -hmm. you know, stop giving yourself excuses, stop quitting on yourself. They've heard that their whole life right? For the most right. part, probably. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and, and that's what I'm saying is like, that's what's changed in me doing from that first experiment to now. And it's even evolved even more since then. Cause it, that was like 10 years ago. Right. And here we are today, you know, with a whole new understanding. And this is kind of what I think a lot of people gravitate or relate to in this fit fat to 40 journey is the fact that here's this trainer that, yeah, he used to be fit, super fit before. And he's willing to do this to gain a better understanding and to bring more empathy into this industry that guy feels safe to listen to and want to, you know, listen to his advice versus someone that's never struggled, that has 5% body fat that looks great, but doesn't understand the emotional side of it. You know what I'm saying? So how, it's like how the, did, oh, good. Sorry. Oh, I was just gonna say genetics. Like <laughs> I, I don't want to, I don't lean everything towards genetics, but it definitely is a component. And it's yes. like, we, we all have these, I'm um, being in the industry for so long, you know, there's plenty of genetic specimens you've met that can basically eat whatever they want and somehow they still can stay at 10 percent body yeah. fat and you're like yeah. this is not normal <laughs> yeah. so yeah. so how has this changed your approach to training a morbidly obese client yeah so this is this is where you know even even just training someone morbidly obese or 50 pounds the concept is still the same because the perception of success 
in most people's heads is very similar. Their perception of success in this industry is to lose weight, to look a certain way right. in order, in order, in hopes that that will bring them more happiness. People are chasing after this perfect body thinking, once I get this body, once I have this much money, once I have this car, this house, this job title, then I'll be happy. But before you know it, 40, 50, 60 years of your life has passed by and you're at war with yourself constantly. So you can't figure out why you can't just achieve this goal. So my whole approach is to shifting people's perception of what success looks like. And so what happens is I help people operate out of a place of self-love versus self-hate. So here's what I think happens in a lot of people's situations is they grow up with this self-hate, you know, because they don't like something about their body. They don't like something about the way they look. They don't like about something about them. They've bought into this myth that maybe someone made fun of them, or maybe their parents said something to them or whatever it is. We all have these insecurities. And before, for that reason, we can't fully accept ourselves. And so we're caught this constant battle of, I want to change this about myself. I just want this to be different. And then I'll love myself. Right. And so if I could get people to learn how to operate out of a place of self-love versus self-hate over time. It takes time to do that. But if you start to realize that you're worth it, that you're worthy of love, you're worthy to be healthy, you're worthy to have physical health in your life, you want to treat your body with kindness. And what that consists of is doing hard things like exercise and diet. And sometimes our perception of that process is like, oh, I have to diet and exercise. Sacrifice, sacrifice, sacrifice. Yeah. yeah, it's like, oh, this is going to suck. Okay, I'll put up with this process in hopes to get these results, but I'm not going to enjoy the process and I'll do it if I get these results. But if I'm not seeing results, then why do the process, right? Mm-hmm. So what I try and do is help people learn to fall in love with the process because not for the results, but because they're worth it. They're worthy to fight for it. Whether the results come or not isn't important right now. For right now, right. let's focus on you over here believing that you're worthy to have health. We'll talk about results later, okay? But for right now, let's just focus on health. Those habits of diet and exercise, whatever that looks like for you, it doesn't need to be extreme, doesn't need to be a punishment, and doesn't need to be a chore, but let's just focus on falling in love with the process. And if we can learn to fall in love with the process, like, oh, this actually makes me feel good when I go for a walk for 45 minutes a day, or this feels good when I can eat, you know, vegetable, three servings of vegetables a day. Like, okay, I feel more accomplished. Right. Okay. And if you can be consistent with that over time, the results end up taking care of themselves. And then you start to realize, oh, I've been doing it for the wrong reasons this whole time. I've been doing it, putting up with this process, which, you know, is a chore for some people to get these results and then I'll be happy. But it's like, oh, I can be happy and fulfilled now, even though I'm not where I want to be yet. I can still love myself now, do the process, fall in love with it. And then boom, before you know it, you look back a year, two years later, like, oh my gosh, look at all these results that I've had. And then it's so much more fulfilling that way. And so how I do that is, you know, a longer story, but we can dive into that if you guys want to, but little tiny uh, tips, tricks, and hacks that I use to get my uh, followers or clients <clears throat> to shift from result focus to process focus first and foremost. Mm-hmm. No, I like that. Um, mm-hmm. On a completely tangent, because I'm just intrigued by this, because sure. science, science hat's hitting right now. <laughs> um, outside of the mental side of things, when it comes to physical health and fitness, what have been some of the most infuriating bro science myths that you've come to debunk or like for me personal, I get so frustrated when I see a personal trainer go, Guys, every every one pound of lean muscle mass you put on, it burns an extra 50 to 100 calories a day. Right. 
No, it doesn't. (laughs) 50 to 100 calories. It means if I put on 10 pounds of muscle, I'm gaining, I'm burning extra 500 to 1,000 calories. You are out of your mind. Yeah. It's like eight to 10. It's still a great thing, yeah. but it's not 50 to a hundred. Yeah. Yeah. So what, what are some of the big ones for you? That's a, that's a good question. I can't, I'm trying to think of something specific like that, that comes mm-hmm. up for me. I'm sure there's a bunch of them. I really don't pay attention to a lot of them. I think okay. anytime we try and simplify the process, like, Hey okay. guys, one pound of fat is 3,500 calories burned. Yeah. Oh yeah. Like that, that frustrates me too. Okay. Just do the math and then boom, it magically fits into that. Or like, okay, if you're eating this many calories, and you're burning this many calories, then your weight loss will look like this. Like it should be linear. And I think that's people's perception of like, oh, if I'm dieting and I'm tracking my calories, I'm eating 1500 calories and I'm burning 600 calories during my workout. You know, if I do the math right, it should work out perfectly to where I'm losing a pound a week and it should be consistent over the course of two years. That's like, you're not fact. There's so many other variables that factor in to one weight loss, water retention, hormone shifts, all these things that happen during this weight loss journey that aren't accounted for. So I think anytime it's oversimplified and it's, it's these extremes of, of this is the way it is. And, and there's, you know, and and it's a, it's a mathematical equation. I think it's helpful to some degree as far as like, okay, how many calories am I really eating? Maybe I'll track that for a week or two, Mm -hmm. or, you know, if you want to start weighing your food, cool. You know, I don't recommend that in the long run, but anytime you try and over oversimplify it and make it sound like, Oh, so simple, you guys, why can't you figure this out? Right. That's what I, that's what I have an issue with because that's okay. where people gravitate towards. Cause it's kind of like clickbait of like, yep. Oh yeah, here's this new method yeah. of like doing this formula. And then it, it magically works. Like it's just, it's just, it takes out the human element of transformation. Yeah. You know? It's like, it's like, it's like the biggest myth on keto is, Oh, if I just keep my carbs under 30, under, under 30, I'm going to lose weight and it's going to be healthy. Yeah. Yeah. Or here's another one too that just popped up. If if I'm in ketosis, I don't understand why I'm losing weight as if in being in ketosis automatically means weight loss. People are like, I don't understand. I'm in ketosis, but I'm not losing weight. How's that even possible? And that's what I'm saying. People's perception of being in keto is just one of those things where they just don't do enough research. They're like, oh, get in ketosis, boom, weight loss. Like, I wish it were that simple. (laughs) (laughs) So let me ask you, you, did you ever think that you would do this again? No, I never, I never thought I would do it again. No. Is it harder this time? (laughs) It was way harder. Um, and for a couple of different reasons, one, I'm in a totally different place in my life than I was back then. Um, you know, learned a lot more lessons, um, you know, a lot more emotionally aware of my emotions and more, you know, uh, have that self-awareness versus before was a younger kid. Didn't really understand what that even meant. Emotional intelligence, right. Or self-awareness. Um, this time was a lot harder because just to be totally honest with you guys, I went through a breakup with my girlfriend, which was really hard. And that was public. And it was like, not easy, uh, to do that while I was in a very unhealthy state, not just overweight, but just unhealthy physically, mentally, emotionally was really hard for me to go through that breakup while I was feeling miserable. So I think for that one reason alone, it, it was way harder. And here's what shifted for me. Be In the beginning, I was eating the food to gain the weight. Sure, the food tasted good. Don't get me wrong. Yes, it tastes amazing. But then it shifted to where I was became sad, lonely, and depressed. And now my emotional eating went to a whole nother level where I literally felt temporarily better eating Ben & Jerry's ice cream, Netflix and chill, dairy-free, which was amazing. Um, and then drinking some wine, having whatever type of dessert, because I was in so much pain, emotional pain during the day. And if I could get a, a half pint of ice cream or some alcohol, whatever it was, 
that little dopamine hit temporarily made me feel better to the point where I'm like, I see where people get stuck in this behavior because it's so comforting among all the pain that you're feeling in life right now, whether it's a breakup, divorce, bankruptcy, fire from your job, whatever stress that can happen, there's something to say about gravitation towards food that gives you those little dopamine hits that makes you temporarily feel better. And I get why people, I'm not condoning that behavior, but I understand why people get stuck there. Cause then it's like, all right, this year I'm going to lose weight. I'm going to lose, I'm going to stop eating that. Okay. No more. But the emotions don't go away. The emotions of life are still going to come up. And now that you've trained your brain to reach for a substance, like, like as addictive as food or alcohol or whatever drugs, whatever you want to call it. Now that you've trained your brain, your brain to do that, when those emotions come up, it's really hard to willpower your way out of it where you're like, okay, I promise I wouldn't do this, but I'm just feeling so sad today. I'm feeling so miserable. Screw it. It's, I don't, I'm not seeing the results anyways. Right. So why not do this? And then we self-sabotage and then it's like, we beat ourselves up. Why do I do that? I hate that I do this to myself. Why do I do that? Okay. I'm going to start over again. And then we just don't ever correct the problem or fix the root cause, mm-hmm. which is those, how do we handle those emotions? You know, what are some other healthier ways that are therapeutic to deal with those emotions that can help you navigate that without reaching for a substance like food, drugs, alcohol, whatever. Well, I know. Cause like John, one of John's favorite statements when it comes to this is like, it's what's well, just food. Right. It's, it's yeah. like, it, Oh, if, sure. if it's a drug addiction, you can just say, Oh yeah. Cold Turkey. Fine. Right. Exactly. If, it, if it's an alcohol addiction, Oh fine. Cold, cold Turkey. It's right. You yeah. have to eat food. Yes. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. Nope. And you have to pass it in the grocery store every time you see it and smell it. And you exactly. see other people eating. It's not like a Coke yeah. head goes like down the grocery store aisle going, oh, there's Coke in aisle six. Like, it's just got to walk exactly. past it. Yeah. So um, during during the, the fit to fat to fit again, were, what were some of the, um, the mental changes and physical changes you noticed between each diet? Yeah, that's a good question. And the reactions to you with your body. Yeah. So on the, the dirty version of them, Sure. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Have, yeah. Yeah. So keto, I still, I felt actually way better even do, even during doing dirty keto. Like I said, my triglycerides were a lot lower. My HDL went up that week. I was in ketosis. Uh, so my mental clarity was there. And when I you say in, dirty, what were you eating? Just so I just, just for like each, as you kind of go into the dirty of the transitions, just what are the foundational foods you were eating? Yeah. Tons of butter, bacon, and cheese were a staple at almost every meal. Lots of like nuts, like roasted cashews and roasted macadamia nuts, like just handfuls of them. Uh, lots of uh, keto treats, um, you know, keto bars, keto cookies, keto ice cream. Um, lots of, uh, uh, what else would I say? Oh, like lots of sugar-free energy drinks, diet sodas, you know, all those, those foods that are a lot of people gravitate towards because they're comfort foods. So mm-hmm. that's pretty much what I ate on dirty keto. Um, my digestion was not better. Eating that amount of fat is, is hard on the digestive system. So I was in the, on the toilet quite a, quite a lot. Um, paleo was one of the weeks I actually felt pretty good because I was still eating meat and lots of protein with my meals. So tracking my blood sugar levels, I wouldn't get as much of a spike, you know, as I thought it. So even though I was eating fruit, a ton, a ton of fruit, but because I was eating it with lots of meat, it kind of counteracted the glucose spike. So I didn't feel as miserable when I, when I eat a lot of like just processed carbohydrates with not a lot of protein, you get huge spikes and crashes, which are exhausting mm-hmm. to release that much insulin and balance it out. Like your body has to do a lot of work to do that. So you're exhausted. That's why I, I would want to take naps multiple times per day. So paleo, I start to actually feel a little bit better because I was lowering my fat 
that week. So not as much fat and, you know, still eating whole foods. Um, my sleep improved, uh, on keto and paleo that week, vegan vegetarians were actually felt the worst because I was eating tons of carbs, not a lot of protein because vegan is like, okay, beans, that's pretty much where you're getting your protein from or some grains, but not a lot. And then I would do the impossible burgers and like the, you know, the fake meat stuff, which is full of all kinds of ingredients. That, yeah. I don't think are that healthy for you, but they actually weren't that bad at tasting, to be honest with you. I actually mm -hmm. didn't mind the taste. <laughs> it actually tasted pretty good. Really? But just overeating it, uh, all the soy protein, um, it did not make me feel good. My digestion wasn't great that week. Uh, and I think my sleep decreased that week as well. Same thing with vegetarian, very similar. I would, I would say I felt worse on vegetarian though, because I added in lots of cheese and dairy. Um, <clears throat> and uh, that, I mean, it tasted good. I love mac and cheese. <laughs> I love grilled cheese sandwiches. Um, but I, I felt worse on vegetarian, probably out of all of them. Okay. Yeah. Hmm. Interesting. Very interesting. Um, did you ever feel like you were going to be stuck? Like once you were really in the <laughs> midst of it, putting on the weight? I did the first time I did it. I felt like, I, like, okay, what if I get stuck at like this? Like I have to be uh, like open to that possibility because I don't know how this experiment's going to end. Um, I, I, I didn't really focus on that too much. It kind of came up every once in a while, like, because I was so obsessed with my body image back then and worried about what people thought of me based on my body. This time around, I wasn't too concerned about it because I just, I, I don't have that obsession about having to look amazing all the time. Like this time around, I was, I was I, zero self-consciousness. So I could walk around. I remember I went to Hawaii over Thanksgiving at one of my heaviest points and had my shirt off and rocked the dad bod and didn't care because no one else cares. Like no one, there's not, I mean, maybe a few mean spirited people out there might care, but right. no one really cares anymore, at least in my opinion, especially being a male, being huskier, there's not as much judgment out there in my no. opinion. So I, I'm not attached to it as much. And so I never really freaked out like, oh, my body's stuck like this. I know and trust the process and trust my body. Like my body and I have a good relationship where it, I can you know, have it do hard things for me. Like I ran hundred miles back in June of 2020 in under 24 hours. And like, I've never done that before, but me and my body kind of had this agreement, like, Hey, let's go through some hell for a little bit. And then I'll take care of you <laughs> kind of <laughs> thing. Same thing with this. Like, Hey, I'm going to, you know, we're going to enjoy some food. It's going to taste good, but it's not going to make you feel good, but I promise you, I'll make it up to you in the long run. Kind of, you know, it sounds weird, but it's just no, did detaching from my body and my friend Chris Powell from Extreme Weight Loss. I don't know if you guys remember him. So I so Chris and Heidi. I, I talked Chris very rarely, but occasionally. Okay. I was in yeah. Vima. I lost my weight in Vima. Oh, that is with so Bod. funny, dude. What is old school? Yeah, yeah. old school. <laughs> so like, I met Chris backstage a few times. Chris and Heidi backstage a few times back in the day. Yeah, but Chris told me he would do this trick with his clients where he would have them name their bodies as this separate part of themselves. Like, okay, what do you want to call? your body because you are not your body and so they would make up a a, a term or a, a nickname for their body and 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 they would talk to them as like this third person almost and that's kind of a trick for people who are morbidly obese as well that might be attached to their body image to realize my body isn't me it's a part of me but it isn't all of me and so right. it's important to separate that for i think anyone whether you're going through a weight loss journey or not to realize that hey your body and you are separate things and it's important to realize that so no, hundred. I, I now a uh, little transition question because I know yeah. keto is a is a foundation for you. You believe in like the found like the scientific app because after you've obviously done it afterwards and you've done your research. 
what are some of the main reasons why keto is still a it's not a fad what like it's it's actual good good scientific literature behind like health what what makes that gravitate for you yeah for well first and foremost without ketosis our species never would have survived without this backup system to be able to survive without food right so if you think about it from an evolutionary standpoint our ancestors had to be in a state of ketosis otherwise they would have died after two days without food but we can go days weeks months for some people without food and still be able to live which is miraculous so to say keto was just made up in this generation or this century is ridiculous because you have to understand we didn't always have DoorDash. We didn't always have restaurants exactly. and grocery stores and fast food. So that's one point is like, okay, from an evolutionary standpoint, we needed ketosis and we still do. And first of all, ketosis wasn't even really discovered until the 1920s when doctors were looking at it as an option to help children with epilepsy. That was the first practical use of like this diet approach of like, hey, what if we cut out glucose and, and increase fats? What would happen in the body? And for some reason, it, it it worked for whatever reason on children with severe epilepsy that weren't seeing progress with drugs, the epileptic drugs back in those days. And so that's why there's a whole, you know, foundation called the Charlie foundation. Um, it's a whole movie with Meryl Streep about this whole little boy named Charlie, who was pretty much saved by a ketogenic protocol. Wow. So take diet and exercise out of, out of it for a second. The fact that we have this protocol as, as a way of helping people with epilepsy and seizures, is remarkable in and of itself. And those people that have severe epilepsy, talk to them. They can't eat a lot of carbs, otherwise it could trigger a seizure. So they have to be in a state of ketosis constantly to protect their brains from a possible seizure. So they have to do, they can't have cheat days. You know what I'm saying? They can't have carbohydrates. They have to be in a strict state of ketosis all year round, all the time. So they have to take exogenous ketones and they have to limit their, their carbohydrates and they're totally healthy as long as they stay within that range. So I would say that first and foremost, because most people look at diet or the keto diet from a fitness and weight loss perspective. Right. And that's where it can become a fad for sure, because people are doing it to lose weight. But, you know, I think that it is an important tool because our bodies were designed to run off of two different types of fuel, glucose and ketones. We can switch fuel sources, but if you grow up in America, for the most part, you are pushed an agenda of high carbohydrates, <laughs> mm -hmm. you know, breakfast, cereal for breakfast, uh, sandwiches for lunch and pasta for dinner, and then granola bars and chips in between. I mean, that's the food pyramid right there, <laughs> you know, that we've been taught, at least I was taught in the eighties. Right, yeah. I don't know how old you guys are, but so that's kind of what the agenda that's been pushed on us in to not at least research or experiment if a ketogenic state might be healthier for you. It's, it's anti-inflammatory. It can be safe and healthy if done in a, I would say a whole foods approach where you're eating whole food and you're not gravitating towards the comfort foods and just eating butter and bacon all day long. There is a healthy way of doing it. And whether you decide to stay in ketosis forever or cycle in and out of ketosis, which is what I do, you know, I don't think it needs to be strict 100% for the rest of my life. I feel like metabolic flexibility is the ultimate key as a human for nutrition because our ancestors didn't throw out the berries and throw out any kind of food with carbohydrates in it to stay in the state of ketosis. But they probably, if they found berries or honey, they would probably eat it because it was food and it was a period of like, you know, feast. And then there was a famine maybe where there was only access to animal meat and they lived off that as well. So I think metabolic flexibility is really important. So doing some experiments with ketosis 
can be beneficial if done the right way, safe and healthy with electrolytes and understanding how to do it. Um, <clears throat> and then from there, doing some blood work and testing and figuring out what works best for you. No, I love. And so, then, because um, I, I'm about to do, I, I, I jabbed this at the beginning. You did your first, this is a whole different topic, which I'm going to standpoint of, hey, mm -hmm. do it right if you're going to do it. Yes. Um, extended fasting. Mm -hmm. I, I do a three to five day fast twice a year. That's like my general for general health. How was that experience the first time you did it? Yeah. That was like um, two years ago, right? Ish. <laughs> that I did what? Your, your first five day fast wasn't like two years ago. Um, I think it was more like uh, three years ago or four, okay. four years ago. I did a seven day fast. Yep. And wow. yeah, yeah, that was, it was hard. It was way hard because I grew up in a religious atmosphere where we had a fast once a month for 24 hours. And that, I thought that was impossible. Like this is so hard. I'm going to eat all the food I can up until midnight and then fast the next day and just like, you know, just do it because I was told to do it. But now that I have a better understanding of fasting, I'm a huge fan, huge proponent of extended fasting. Like you, I do it once or twice a year. Seven days is kind of long for me. Yeah. A little bit lean. Uh, for me, I would say three to four days is like my sweet spot where I can do it. It's manageable, but you know, sometimes I'm a dad, I have to like make my daughter's food and that's really hard or you know what I'm saying? Like I didn't want the seven day fast, the seven day fast I did, I did during Christmas time, which was a big mistake. Was, <laughs> wow. Christmas parties and taking my girls to places and not indulging was a huge test of willpower. So <laughs> that's crazy. Yeah. But I do love it. I do great. I think it's great for not just the physical health benefits, but the mental discipline from it, like taking a break from food. And then also, you know, there are some spiritual components to it, mm -hmm. which is why it's practiced by every major religion. Exactly. Now, as we kind of, I truly appreciate this hour. I know, I know yes. our, our guests are going to, or our, uh, our viewers are going to love this as well. Is there anything that you feel compelled to speak about? Like, I know I, I love to give some time to like, is there something that, that you value that you want to kind of speak about within your journey or any, anything on, on your mind about anything? Yeah. I mean, I maybe just reiterate some of the other things I said, but I think empathy is the, like one of the most important things. And like I said, I think it can change the world. Um, and I think the world needs more empathy now more than ever, because we're mm -hmm. so judgmental. We're so quick to judge based on appearance or what you post on social media. If we just sat back and listened, uh, Brene Brown, she's got a good quote. It's really hard to hate people up close. So if you spend time face-to-face -face sitting down with someone, you wouldn't say the things you say on social media Truth. If you were sitting down in a room face to face with that person, you know, true. Yeah, I think I like there's that. value in in listening to understand someone and having that empathy, but it's it takes a lot to get to that point. So you have to develop empathy. Um, and I think all that translates over into our physical journey. And I, and I will say one last thing is the the physical health component of transformation. Yes, is super important to eat healthy food and exercise and do those things, but don't think that your journey of physical transformation is just physical. Because I promise you, if you're going into it with that approach, you will be blindsided at how hard the mental and emotional stuff is. So what I'm saying though, is if you take care of your physical health and you do these four pillars of health, which is diet, eating healthy food, whatever diet you follow, but eating whole food mostly, exercise in whatever shape or form that looks like for you, that feels good. It's just pushing your body to do hard things that are hard for you. It doesn't have to be David Goggins hard but hard for you <laughs> to where you're like, okay, I can do her things. And then from there, stress management. So right. however you manage stress of life to bring that stress down and then sleep, because if without sleep, your hormones are balanced. You can't recover. You have to get sleep in there. So those four pillars of things, if you take care of those four things, 
no matter what you look like on the outside, dealing with the mental, emotional, spiritual turmoils that can come in life, it's going to be so much easier if you have your physical health under control first. And so that's where they're all tied together. And so I would just stress the importance of, of looking at it from that perspective instead of like, okay, physical transformation over here, the emotional relationship, you know, finance stuff over here, you know, separate. They don't, they don't like, you know, I'll eat whatever I want. And, you know, not, and, and to think that that's not going to affect the way you think in your relationship or with your business is just crazy. You have to see the correlation. So that's probably the last thing I would say. Cool. I appreciate it. John, do you want to, you want to close her up with so, your favorites? Yeah. So, uh, Drew, the way I usually end the, uh, pad, the podcast is with a series of questions, but I'm going to change up one of the questions for you. Sure. Uh, so the first question that I have for you is, um, can you name three things that you were shocked to learn on your fit to fat to fit experience? Yes. Uh, three things that I was shocked to learn. That's a really good question. One was identity. Um, you know, the, I was obsessed with my identity. Two was how powerful the emotional connection to food really is. And, you know, the, actually understanding food addiction on a whole nother level. And then three, how much of, of our emotions and how we show up in this world are tied to our physical health. You know what I'm saying? Like, mm -hmm. it, it really is. And so those were three powerful lessons that I learned from this experiment. Okay, last question for you. Uh, three solid pieces of advice you can give to the listeners. And it doesn't necessarily have to be weight loss, but you know, anything that you can offer. Yeah, for sure. And this is, you know, a unique uh, piece of advice because it has nothing to do with weight loss necessarily, but it transfers over into the weight loss category. So it's about training your brain to become comfortable in uncomfortable situations. So the first thing I have my followers do is make their bed make your bed every single morning. And what does that do? It's all about mental discipline. You can be perfect in that one thing every single day and be consistent in that. And if you do that one thing, you can do more things and stay perfect in it. So make your bed. The second thing is taking a cold shower. What does that have to do with weight loss? And <laughs> not a whole lot other than the fact that you're sitting there in an uncomfortable freezing cold shower that sucks. It doesn't feel good to your body because your body has been so accustomed to warm showers Take a, a 60 second cold shower at the end of your shower and slow your breathing down and just learn to breathe through it. Because I promise you, you're not worrying about your bills. You're not worrying about your relationships. You're not worrying about anything else in that moment. You're just truly training your brain to become comfortable in an uncomfortable situation. And that can transfer over into being uncomfortable with the exercise. Like, oh, I'm breathing heavy. I'm sweating. My muscles are burning. That's uncomfortable. But you're like, hey, I got this. Because now my brain is learning how to become comfortable in uncomfortable situations. The last thing I would say is to do a daily gratitude list. And what you do with the daily gratitude list is it helps to rewire your brain to look for things to be grateful for throughout the day to think, oh, I got three to five things to write what I'm grateful for today. And then during the day, you start to think of those things like, oh, this just happened. Like my, I just got a package from Amazon. I'm thankful for Amazon. Like that is cool. I love it. You know, it's, a, it's something to be grateful for. And you start to rewire your brain to look for these things. And you start to realize I'm actually really blessed and I'm really fulfilled with what I have, even though my life's not perfect. So those are three small pieces of advice that anyone can do has nothing to do with weight loss, but I promise you it, it carries over and it's really powerful when it does come to weight loss. I thank you very much, Drew, for making some time and being with, with us here today. Uh, before we let you go, where can we find you on social media and where can we purchase your books and the titles? Yeah, super simple. Fit, number two, fat, number two, fit. So fit to fat to fit 
on all social media platforms. That's my website as well. If you want to go check it out there. And um, yeah, that's pretty much it. Awesome. So are you ever going to do this again? Are you ever going to do that journey again? <laughs> I, I won't say I- Fit to fat to fit 85. Fit to fat to 50 or whatever it is. <laughs> I have no intention of doing it again, like anytime soon. But I said I would never do it again and, and I did it. Yeah. But I, I, so I won't say never, but I don't foresee myself ever doing this again. <laughs> So all right. All thank right. you well, guys so much. Thank you, Drew. Thank you for being with us. Uh, for those listening, please rate and review. Uh, if you would like to join us, you can come hang out with us each and every single Wednesday night for our ALG community call. That is absolutely free. Just log on to the website. We would love to meet you. Uh, do you have anything to add, David? I think we really hit it all today. I'm actually going to challenge everyone right here. Uh, as you're finishing up listening to this episode, five things you're grateful for. I want you to verbalize it out loud. And uh, we'll talk to you all later. Bye. All right. Bye.